Hello and welcome to another teaching from 119 Ministries. Our ministry believes that the whole Bible is still true and directly related to our lives today. If you would like to learn more about what we believe and teach, please visit us at testeverything.net. We hope you enjoy studying and testing the following teaching. For years, we've been told that Sunday is now the accepted day of the Lord. Ministers, pastors, teachers, all saying the same thing. But what if they were wrong? How can the fourth commandment be disregarded by millions every week? What scriptures are used for their defenses? If the word of God truly stands forever, how can man's word dictate otherwise? What authorizes any man, church, or denomination to alter the word of God? If the Sabbath was given to man, why should one ever think that God would take it away? Are you ready to confront your faith? Are you willing to let traditions fall? Learn what has been covered by centuries of man-made doctrines. Discover the truth as revealed in the scriptures of how the Sabbath is the sign between the Father and those who pursue after His ways. The Sabbath Day from 119 Ministries. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, Yahweh, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath day, in Hebrew, Shabbat. It's interesting to note that it's the only day of the week that the Father gives a name to, the Sabbath. So how do we observe the Sabbath? Does the Sabbath still apply today? We actually want to start this teaching off with this question. Many hold to and believe that the Sabbath was changed to Sunday. So let's start there. This is a hot topic for many, so let's examine the scriptures and see what we must come up with. We must remember that the Bereans tested everything that Paul said to the scriptures. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Now these Jews, Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So we see that everything Paul said had to line up with the scriptures. So then, what was considered the scriptures in the New Testament? The Old Testament. Thus, Everything in the New Testament had to line up in agreement with the Old Testament. The Old Testament was the foundation upon which the New Testament was written. The verses that many reference regarding the Sabbath are in Acts. Chapters 13, 16, and 17 are all references to the actual Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, is a verse that many use to defend using Sunday as the new Sabbath. So let's briefly examine it. But for the purpose of context, let's add the verse before it. Acts chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, 
and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Verse 7 states in the English that the apostles came together on the first day of the week, thus implying to many that the Sabbath is now on the first day of the week. Since this verse is used to defend Sunday for the new Sabbath day, let's look at the Greek verse where verse 7 says, first day of the week. The Greek actually says, mia ton sabaton. The Greek word mia means one, not first. It is the Greek word protos that means first, which is not present in the text. We cannot make it say something that it does not. It actually translates as one of the Sabbaths, plural, not first day of the week, singular. The word day does not even exist in the Greek, making it all the more difficult to understand the translation being first day of the week. This is a huge translation error that has been openly accepted as truth over the years. But what does one of the Sabbaths actually mean? This is why the context of the previous verse is so crucial. Verse 6 mentions the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unless one acknowledges the feast days that the Lord gave us, it is easily read over. So why is the mention of this feast day important? Let's read from Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23 verses 4 through 6. These are the appointed feasts of Yahweh, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at twilight, is Yahweh's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to Yahweh. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And now to verse 15. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Now, notice how in Acts chapter 20, verse 6, the feast of unleavened bread is mentioned. So what were they doing in verse 7? They were counting the Sabbath weeks. They were at one of the Sabbaths in their counting. So why does Yahweh want us to count off seven Sabbaths or weeks? Because the day after the seventh Sabbath is Shavuot, that's Hebrew for the Greek word often called Pentecost. That's why the day of Pentecost is always 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. What is so significant about the day of Pentecost? Of course, every Christian believer will say the second chapter of Acts is when the Holy Spirit came down. And that is true. However, is that all? If that was all, then why were the Jews from all over in Jerusalem on that day in the second chapter of Acts? Could it be that they were observing the command as given by Yahweh in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 16? Yes, they were. But what was so significant about this day to Yahweh before the second chapter of Acts? What did it represent? If one does the math in Exodus, it is likely the same day that Moses brought the law down from Mount Sinai. Thus, the same day that Moses brought the law down was the same day that Yahweh brought the Spirit down to put the law in our hearts 
Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 27. So in Acts chapter 20, they were actually keeping the Sabbath as the Sabbath and not the first day of the week, contrary to what many suggest. When we look at the original Greek and the history of what God desires for us, Sunday is simply not found. This actually ties with another verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 2 through 3. On the very first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. The wording here in the Greek is very similar to that found in Acts chapter 20. This verse here in 1 Corinthians parallels the collecting of an offering to be taken up to Jerusalem on Pentecost, or Shavuot in the Hebrew. How do we know this? It is written in the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before Yahweh, your God, at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before Yahweh empty-handed. Shavuot, or Pentecost, was also called the Feast of Weeks because of the counting of the weeks. Paul was instructing them on a commandment found in the Old Testament. The church today misses so much because it has overlooked the Old Testament as just good stories to learn from and not as the basis on which the New Testament was truly established. Some also refer to Galatians chapter 4 as proof of Sunday supposedly being the new Sabbath. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Verse 10 here does not represent the Sabbath or the Feast of God. And this is why. These were Gentiles who never observed God's ways. See how verse 8 shows they did not know God at one time? Now look at verse 9. It says that they are turning back. Back to what? Back to their pagan celebrations. One who is not observing God's ways cannot turn back to his ways because they were never in his ways to turn back to them. Verse 8 clearly shows they were turning back to serve other gods and the holidays of those other gods. They basically observed the law as a checklist, if you will. So once they did their duty to God and felt like they were saved, they began observing what they did before they came to God. Their pagan practices, their pagan holidays. Why not from a pagan Gentile perspective? They were used to having multiple gods. Their approach was much like a once saved, always saved perspective. They believed if they did their obligation to God and were eternally saved, they could observe the practices and holidays of their former gods as well. The problem with the Galatians is that they had jumped out of one ditch only to land in another. They were trying to rely on observing things in the law of God for their salvation, 
Even worse, they also decided to follow the holidays and ways of their former gods as well. In so doing, they were following the principle of doing something for their salvation, which was the exact same concept found in their pagan religious practices. It was the idea of having to do something to earn their salvation. Again, the Galatians were trying to be saved by the law. This is impossible. No one can be saved by observing the law. Please understand that no one can be saved by observing the law. You don't follow the law to be saved. You follow it because you are saved. Obeying the law is the fruit of your salvation, not the root of your salvation. Consider a little farther down in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. One cannot be saved by their works, but rather we are saved and then our works prove our salvation. But the works do not save you. There is no redemptive value in keeping the law, meaning keeping the law cannot redeem you. You cannot be justified for your salvation through keeping of the law of God. Salvation is only found in the work of Christ. However, once in Christ, we pursue obedience in the law as Christ exemplified for us. As 1 John says, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Many also refer to Romans chapter 14, verse 5 in saying that we no longer need to observe the Sabbath. This verse needs to be read with verse 6 for context. It's actually referring to when people were fasting. Some held that fasting on certain days meant more than others, and some believed that fasting on one day or any day was just the same. Romans chapter 14, verses 5 through 6. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. The topic surrounding verse 5 and 6 here is food in general. This always brings up the dietary instructions given in the law. If you have questions on that, please see our teaching, Acts chapter 10, Peter's vision. And 1 Timothy chapter 4, can we eat all things? But how can anyone say that this verse, or any verse for that matter, declares that we no longer need to observe the Sabbath? The word Sabbath isn't even mentioned in Romans chapter 14. Where is it declared by God that the Sabbath no longer applies? Seriously. Where does God say, you no longer need to observe my Sabbath? Where can such an instruction be found? It can't be found. Most all the verses that people use to defend their belief that the Sabbath no longer applies are words spoken by Paul. Let us not forget, as mentioned at the beginning of this teaching, that everything Paul said had to be in agreement with the Old Testament, the Tanakh. 
For the Old Testament was also what the Bereans tested Paul against. So then, should we now say that Paul is contradicting the Old Testament? Or that Paul's words have been twisted down through the ages? Please consider 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15-17. through 17. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. As we continue in this study, please remember that Paul never contradicted the word of God. But rather, we will see that Paul's words have been distorted by the error of lawless men. Many refer also to Colossians chapter 2 to show that the Sabbath cannot be any day. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Many use this in saying, see... You don't have to let someone judge you because you're not following the Sabbath on Saturday now. Now it's all about following Christ. But this verse is actually Paul encouraging the believers to not let people judge them because they are observing the right day as found in the instructions of the Lord. We must not forget the instructions of Paul just eight verses before. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The instructions of the Lord are not even close to being hollow and deceptive philosophy. The instructions of the Lord are also not human traditions or elemental spirits of the world. Along these same lines, compare what he says in verses 20 through 22. Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in this world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to the human precepts and teachings. In understanding the context, it was the Gnostics that came in and started polluting the doctrine of the Colossians. The Gnostics directed the Colossians away from what Paul originally taught and practiced, the law of God, doing Bible things in Bible ways. They even began imposing Gnostic ascetic beliefs and man-made commands that had to do with bodily sensory pleasures, neglecting the body and the like. Do not handle, do not touch, things like that. The Lord's feast days are a big problem for the Gnostics because these days are all about eating. That is why they are called feasts. The Gnostics were into worshiping angels and pursuing secret knowledge. They hated God's feast days because they thought anything physical, including food, was evil. Thus, it is easily concluded by most that it was the Gnostics who were telling the Colossians to not keep the feast days. That is why Paul was saying they should not let themselves be judged for keeping them. 
you may want to consider doing a small study on your own on the Gnostics. You may be surprised what you find. Some study Bibles give side notes that expound on the Gnostics, like that of the Zondervan Life Application Bible. Paul was railing the whole time against the Gnostics and their traditions. These traditions were clearly contrary to God's law, to what Christ did on the cross in nearly every possible way. Paul even states that these are commandments and doctrines originating from men, not God, letting us know that this is not about God's law, but men's religious traditions. We must understand that the law is not human commands and teaching. The law is God's commands. It's his instructions to us in teaching us how to live. Thus, the encouragement of verse 16 is regarding their obedience to that which was established in the law. Consider now verse 17. It doesn't say that these are done away with in Christ. It shows that these are a foreshadow of the things to come, meaning that they are to be followed as reminders of that which is still yet to happen. Think of it for a moment. The spring feast of Passover and the first fruits of unleavened bread, along with Pentecost, were holy days that represented the past, but the reality was actually found in Christ. Thus, meaning that those holy days were prophetically pointing to Christ all along. And now they point back to him as a memorial to him and all he did. Thus, here, Paul mentions the festivals, the new moon celebration, and the Sabbath day as prophetic pointers as well. He's referencing the fall holy days. These are the day of trumpets, the day of atonement, and the feast of tabernacles. The new moon celebration is the day of trumpets, the only holy day given to us by God that falls on a new moon. This represents the day of Christ's return. He also mentions the Sabbath day. So what does the Sabbath foreshadow? This obviously represents the 1,000 years of rest in the millennium. For those who may have never heard of this, allow us to briefly explain in giving a few examples. A verse that is often referred to is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Many have said that this is just Peter showing how time is of no essence to God. This could very well be the case. However, there is much more to consider, thus letting us know why Peter used these words to show how God views time. We know that God created everything in six days and then ceased from that work on the seventh day. And we can see that same plan worked out through the ages. Compare what is mentioned concerning the days of man. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Father says that man's days shall be a hundred and twenty years. It is very clear in the Hebrew that the word shana used here for years does indeed mean years. Yet we can't help but wonder if the Father is showing us something even deeper in this text. If we think about it, the average lifespan of a man after the flood was much less than 120. So then, 
If we understand it to be 120 countings by way of jubilees, it actually takes us to a total of 6,000 years. Man's days shall be 120 years jubilees. 120 jubilees, or 50s, equals 6,000. For a further study on all of this, we would recommend the teachings the fourth and seventh day and the creation prophecy. We know that it is approximately 4,000 years from Adam to Yeshua. Then there is 2,000 years from the Messiah to the current day, placing us near the time of the seventh 1,000-year period. The seventh day is a 1,000-year reign of Christ as mentioned in Revelation. Plus, whenever you hear the phrase, Day of the Lord, it is normally referencing the beginning or the whole of the 1,000-year reign of our Messiah, the seventh day of rest. And this is why we see Peter mentioning a day is a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is a day. Because just a few verses down in verse 10, he's actually talking about the day of the Lord. For more on this, we would recommend the teaching Hebrews 4, in his rest, now or later. And so, the Sabbath and the fall holy days will have a literal fulfillment at Christ's second coming, just as the spring feast did at his first coming. Thus, they are a shadow of the reality that is to come, that we currently live out and looking forward to the reality that they represent, just like those of the spring holy days. Now consider this. What was the command that Christ gave his disciples just before he ascended to heaven? It was to go and make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. They were to be a light to all the surrounding nations, to teach others to walk in the truth. The day will come in the millennium, the Sabbath day of the Lord, when we will even rest from this work of making disciples. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, Yahweh, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Just as we are to rest on the seventh day of the week, we will also rest on the seventh millennium, known in prophecy as the day of the Lord. This is what the seventh day of the week represents, the millennial reign of Christ. This is what is referenced in Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Acts chapter 3, verse 21. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. When he comes again, everything will be restored. That includes having everyone follow that which he established from the beginning, the seventh day of rest. Compare also Isaiah chapter 66, verses 22 and 23. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says Yahweh, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, 
All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares Yahweh. Even here we see confirmation that the Father's desire is for all to follow his Sabbath in the new heaven and new earth. So at creation, he established his Sabbath. At Christ's first coming, he confirmed it. At Christ's return, the Sabbath is still there. Knowing that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, why would we believe that he would do away with the Sabbath in the middle, only to bring it back? Some have used Hebrews chapter 4 to say that heaven will be our Sabbath in the Lord now. So let's examine Hebrews chapter 4 and see. For the sake of not repeating too much, it would be extremely beneficial to watch the teaching called Hebrews 4 in his rest now or later. As established, the 1,000-year reign of our Messiah is our Sabbath rest. It is the rest that we are waiting to enter after judgment. Let us not forget that he said that he is Lord of the Sabbath in Mark chapter 2, verse 28. The weekly Sabbath is a prophetic foreshadowing of the last 1,000 years, the day of the Lord. It is on this day, this 1,000 year as a day, that he reigns on earth as King of kings and Lord of lords, reigning as Lord of the Sabbath. Let's review Hebrews 4 in a little more detail. The promise still remains for us entering his rest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Then the author of Hebrews warns us about what happened to Israel in the desert. Verse 2. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Notice here in verse 2 that they had the same gospel preached to them as we did. We have received the same word of God as they did, the same message. How many of us have been taught that the New Testament was all about the new gospel? This definitely should make us reconsider that thought. For a further study on the gospel, please see our teaching called, What is the Gospel? The author of Hebrews chapter 4 explains that they did not have the faith to carry out the word of God. For if they really had faith, they would have done the word of God. Doing the word of God truly proves your faith in the word of God. As verse 2 says, they did not combine what they heard with faith, meaning they didn't combine faith with obedience. So, we who have faith, who have believed or obey, enter the rest, as verse 3 says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Notice, just like verse 1 stated, that we have not yet entered the rest. Verse 3 focuses on those who have believed. Verse 2 implies that those who successfully walked out their faith or ran the race, as Paul calls it, are those who enter his rest. We believe and we are believing, but until we reach the end, we have not yet fully believed. One who believes is one who obeys. Does that sound foreign to you? 
Then consider this from chapter 3, Hebrews 3, verse 14 and 16 through 19. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So scripturally speaking, the one who obeys is the one who believes. Then the author begins teaching on the day of the Lord, the day of rest, as the seventh day. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You see, there is another day that we look forward to, the day of rest. It is not until we enter the Sabbath rest, the last 1,000 years, the day of the Lord, that we finally cease from our work. Most of us agree that we are still working. We are still sharing the word and teaching the nations. The rest still remains. Israel in the desert trampled all over the covenant, and they did not enter his rest. They received the same gospel as us, but did not walk it out in faith. They continued willfully sinning. They continued in disobedience. They continued in unbelief. So if we do not follow the word of God, does that mean we will not enter that still pending 1,000 years of rest at the day of the Lord? Let's continue reading in chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We need to be diligent in order to enter that rest, which means living in agreement with the word of God, not against it as the children of Israel did in the desert. If you say you believe and have faith in the Word of God, which is who Yeshua claims to be, the same yesterday, today, and forever, then you shall begin following all the Word of God instead of select portions of it, starting with the Sabbath. Now consider this, Luke chapter 23, verse 56. 
Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Now, this was after the death of Christ, so at least between the death and resurrection of Christ, we see his followers still observing the Sabbath. More importantly, Luke wrote this well after the death of Messiah, years after. Note how Luke says, according to the commandment, present tense. Luke did not say, according to once was the commandment. We are to still rest on the Sabbath, and the Sabbath day did not change. If Christ established Sunday as the new Sabbath, then we should have it from his own mouth, shouldn't we? As it is, what was his last command to his followers in Matthew chapter 28? Compare. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Yeshua came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Well, what was it that he commanded them to obey? Compare five chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. Then Yeshua said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. He commanded them to obey Moses. These were the last words Christ said to his disciples in Matthew. Nowhere in any of his instructions that he gave after his resurrection will you find anything that opposes his instructions to obey Moses. Nowhere. Just as Christ told his disciples to obey Moses in Matthew 23 and then told them to command the new disciples to obey everything he commanded them, we see them obeying the command of Matthew 28 in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verses 20 through 21. But should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So we see that the disciples were truly following what Yeshua instructed them in teaching Moses to others. The New Testament is all about the law being written on our hearts, so we may obey it, all of it. Jeremiah chapter 31 and Ezekiel 36 are very clear in prophesying how the law would still be alive and well in the New Covenant. All too often, these verses are overlooked or just passed over quickly. Most never examine how they apply to us today in our everyday lives, let alone the seventh day of the week. Some tried to say that the Sabbath was only given to the Jews and that now Sunday is the new Sabbath for the believers in Christ. The problem with this is that it proclaims that there are two laws, two ways of obedience, two ways to follow God, one way for the Jews and one way for the Gentiles. Let us not forget the words of Paul. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, 
just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Romans chapter 10, verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. As mentioned in Acts chapter 15 regarding the new believers, we all grow in that way of obedience as we grow in the understanding of the word. We must not forget that obedience is not a prerequisite for salvation. It's the fruit of our salvation. So, in the body of Christ, there will be many at various levels of our walk, yet they are all in the body. Fruit doesn't just appear, it grows. And actually, the fruit is the desire of pursuing obedience to God's word versus having no desire at all. This is what is discussed in our Fruit of the Wolves teaching. So Colossians says, Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Though we are all learning and growing, we are all learning and growing in Christ, the one way, the one truth, and the one life. Paul is paralleling exactly to what was said in Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15, verses 15 through 16. For the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner will be alike before Yahweh. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. And Exodus chapter 12, verse 49. The same law applies to the native-born and to the alien, Gentile, living among you. The idea of having outsiders being part of God's people or being grafted in was not a new concept in the New Testament. It has always been that way. For further study on that topic, please see our teaching titled, Grafted In. So here we see that even when Moses presented the law, it was for all who would choose to follow God, not just for the descendants of Jacob. This clearly lets us know that it's not just for the Jews, as many like to say, but rather for all who choose to follow after God. There are still those who insist that Sunday is the new Sabbath for the believers in Christ. Yet the biggest problem here is that there are no scriptures to point us to Sunday. None. None whatsoever. So if the scriptures do not point us to the Sabbath being changed, when, where, and how did the church get to the point of commonly accepting Sunday as the new Sabbath day? It doesn't take much digging to find this out, and you may be surprised what we found. Consider the following quotes and bear with us. We actually have quite a few, but we share them to establish a point, as you will see. 
I have repeatedly offered $1,000 to anyone who can prove to me from the Bible alone that I am bound to keep Sunday holy. There is no such law in the Bible. It is a law of the Holy Catholic Church alone. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Catholic Church says, no, by my divine power, I abolish the Sabbath day and command you to keep holy the first day of the week. And lo, the entire civilized world bows down in reverent obedience to the command of the Holy Catholic Church. Father T. Enright, CSSR of the Redemptoral College, Kansas City, in a lecture at Hartford, Kansas, February 18, 1884, printed in History of the Sabbath, page 802. Another quote, Perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did happened in the first century. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday. The day of the Lord was chosen not from any direction noted in the scriptures, but from the Catholic Church's sense of its own power. People who think that the scriptures should be the sole authority should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and keep Saturday holy. St. Catherine Church Sentinel, Algonac, Michigan, May 21, 1995. It was the Catholic Church which has transferred this rest to Sunday in remembrance of the resurrection of our Lord. Therefore, the observance of Sunday by the Protestants is an homage they pay in spite of themselves to the authority of the Catholic Church. Monsignor Louis Sigur, Plain Talk About the Protestantisms of Today, page 213. It is well to remind the Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, and all other Christians that the Bible does not support them anywhere in the observance of Sunday. Sunday is the institution of the Roman Catholic Church, and those who observe the day observe a commandment of the Catholic Church. That was Priest Brady in an address reported in the News, Elizabeth, New Jersey, March 18, 1903. Sunday is a Catholic institution, and its claim to observance can be defended only on Catholic principles. From beginning to end of Scripture, there is not a single passage that warrants the transfer of weekly public worship from the last day of the week to the first. Catholic Press, Sydney, Australia, August 1900. For example, nowhere in the Bible do we find that Christ or the apostles ordered that the Sabbath be changed from Saturday to Sunday. We had the commandment of God given to Moses to keep holy the Sabbath day, that is, the seventh day of the week, Saturday. Today, most Christians keep Sunday because it has been revealed to us by the Roman Catholic Church outside the Bible. Catholic Virginian, October 3rd, 1947, page 9, article, To Tell You the Truth. Most Christians assume that Sunday is the biblical-approved day of worship. The Catholic Church protests that it transferred Christian worship from the biblical Sabbath, Saturday, to Sunday, and that to try to argue that the change was made in the Bible is both dishonest and a denial of Catholic authority. If Protestantism wants to base its teaching only on the Bible, it should worship on Saturday. Rome's Challenge, www.immaculateheart.com. 
Some theologians have held that God likewise directly determined the Sunday as the day of worship in the new law, that he himself has explicitly substituted Sunday for the Sabbath. But this theory is now entirely abandoned. It is now commonly held that God simply gave his church the power to set aside whatever day or days she would deem suitable as holy days. The Roman Catholic Church chose Sunday, the first day of the week, and in the course of time added other days as holy days. That was John Locke's A Course in Religion for Catholic High Schools and Academies, 1936 edition, volume 1, page 51. Unquestionably, the first law, either ecclesiastical or civil, by which the sabbatical observance of Sunday is known to have been ordained is the sabbatical edict of Constantine, A.D. 321. Chambers, Encyclopedia, Article, Sunday. The following is what Constantine's law required of the people. Let all the judges and town people and the occupation of all trades rest on the venerable day of the sun. But let those who are situated in the country freely and at full liberty attend to the business of agriculture because it often happens that no other day is so fit for sowing corn and planting vines, lest the critical moment being let slip, men should lose the commodities granted by heaven. Translated from the original edict in Latin, now in Harvard College, USA, not long after Constantine's first Sunday law of A.D. 321, the Roman Church made it official church doctrine by declaring it was a Jewish day. This church doctrine demanded all Christians to break commandment number four by working on Sabbath. Christians shall not Judaize and be idle on Saturday. In the original Sabato, shall not be idle on the Sabbath, but shall work on that day. But the Lord's day they shall especially honor, and as being Christians shall, if possible, do no work on that day. If, however, they are found Judaizing, they shall be shut out, anathema, excommunicated, from Christ. Council of Laodicea, A.D. 337, also in the Encyclopedia Britannica, 1899 edition. Okay, we imagine you get the picture. Both scriptures and history prove the fourth commandment's seventh-day Sabbath was never changed by Yeshua or his apostles. Truth is, the Sabbath change came almost 300 years after our Messiah ascended into heaven. It was the Roman Catholic Church that changed the Sabbath to Sunday. And yet the Protestant churches that claim to have left the Catholic Church are still holding to one of the biggest elements of the Catholic Church even today, observing Sunday as the Sabbath. Though some will argue that the Catholic Church was already in existence before Constantine, they cannot deny the fact of influence that Constantine had on the Catholic Church. Many also point to the Church Fathers and even the Councils that had agreed to Sunday as the new Sabbath as being enough evidence for them on this issue. To which we can only respond with, do we follow the teachings and traditions of men or God's word. What did Christ rebuke the Pharisees and teachers of the law for? Consider Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. 
And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You lead the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And verse 13, Mark chapter 7, verse 13, Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. He rebuked for holding the traditions that were passed down from their fathers. Nowhere are we instructed to follow church fathers. We are instructed to follow God's word. So just what does the word of God say regarding the Sabbath? Well, we know that the Father set the example of ceasing from his work on the Sabbath and sanctifying it. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It was the day that he set apart from the beginning to be holy. Now consider Exodus chapter 31, verse 13. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, Yahweh, sanctify you. Please focus on that for a moment. This is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Also, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 20. And keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am Yahweh your God. So the Sabbath was given not only as a day for rest for us, but also as a sign between us and the Father. This is huge and can't be underscored enough. It's a sign as a reminder that just as he made the Sabbath day holy, it is also him that makes us holy. It's the day that he uses to set apart as a reminder to us that we may never forget that we, his people, are to be a light to the nations. This was the purpose of Israel, his people, from the beginning. Consider Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as Yahweh my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Israel was to be an example, a light to the surrounding nations, and God established his Sabbath as the reminder to them for that purpose. We know that Israel failed in keeping his law and thus failing in being that example and light to the nations. 
And so he sent his son to be that living example for us in teaching us how to be that light to the nations. Consider the prophecy in Isaiah regarding the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. This parallels with the very words of the Messiah himself. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Yeshua spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And let us not forget how when we are in him, we are that light as intended back in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Think about that for a moment. When you turn on a light in a dark room, that light stands out. Likewise, when you follow the Sabbath, you will stand out to shine His light to those around us. So the Sabbath is the day that the Father has given us as a sign. And that sign is to help shine His light to the world. Many have said that the Sabbath was never intended to be for the Gentiles. But even as we saw in Numbers chapter 15 and Exodus 12 earlier, both show that it is not the case. There is another verse that expounds on it as well. We are sure you have heard it. Well, at least part of it. Have you ever heard the scripture that says, My house shall be called a house of prayer? Of course you have. It's the same verse that Christ himself quotes when turning over the tables of the money changers in the temple. But let's look at the surrounding text of that quote and see what we find. Isaiah chapter 56, verses 6 through 7. And the foreigners, Gentiles, who join themselves to Yahweh to minister to him to love the name of Yahweh and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifice will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. It was not just for the Jews, but for all nations, the foreigners who joined themselves to God's people like Ruth. It was and is God's desire for all nations to come and keep his Sabbath and hold to his covenant. It's his desire for all nations to come and be grafted in to the olive tree, as Paul refers to in Romans chapter 11. But what olive tree is Paul referring to? In order to understand Romans chapter 11, we must understand Jeremiah chapter 11. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 16. Yahweh once called you a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit. It's his desire for all to come out of the peoples of the world and come be a part of his people. And we do that through Messiah. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ.
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you see here how in Christ we are brought near? Brought near to what though? All this is mentioned in verse 12. We are now citizens of Israel, partakers of the covenant, now having hope and God in this world. First, the citizenship. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah Yeshua. When you are in the Messiah, you are a citizen of Israel, a true Israelite. We become a Hebrew. By definition, the very name Hebrew means one from the other side, or crossed over. Thus, one who has crossed over. It truly brings to light what our Messiah said in John. John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Second, the covenants. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Notice how the new covenant takes the previous covenant and places it in our minds and on our hearts. Thus, we are partakers of the covenants, plural. The new covenant takes all that which eventually becomes known as the law of Moses and places it on our heart and mind. It's important to note who this new covenant is for. The house of Israel. His people. Thus, we are grafted in. Then, the hope. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2-4. through 4. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So if we have this hope, what are we to purify ourselves from? Consider the next verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So we keep the Sabbath in obedience to the law as the sign that has been given us. And let us not forget verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2. That gives a concluding statement on the issue at hand. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Many try to use verses 14 and 15 in saying that Christ did away with the law. For a further study on these verses, we cover them in our teaching, the Pauline Paradox series, Ephesians. The Father gave the Sabbath to his people to last forever. Exodus chapter 31, verses 16 through 17. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever, 
between me and the people of Israel, that in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The Sabbath was given to us in the beginning, the day after Adam and Eve were created. That is when it was set apart or made holy. This is why Messiah Yeshua said that the Sabbath was given to man, not just given to the Jews. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given as a blessing, as a gift to man. The Sabbath was given to man after man was created. Man was not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a gift to all of us. So what does it mean to observe the Sabbath? How do we observe the Sabbath? What do the scriptures tell us in how we are to observe this day? This is a very common question. And we ask that you remember one thing when you ask someone how to observe the Sabbath. You need only to follow what the Father tells you, not man. Otherwise, you would be following man and not the Father. So as always, we ask that you test everything in this. We have six days to do what we want, and we are given one day to do what he knows we need. What is the one thing everyone needs today in this fast-paced world? It's rest, to be closer to the Lord. Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not a punishment. It should be a joy because we are getting closer to our Creator while getting our batteries recharged. So let's go over some instructions as given in the scriptures and see what we come up with. First, let's cover the most discussed topic about concerning the Sabbath, work. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 14. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your other livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. The question often comes up, what if I have to work on the Sabbath? Let it be known that we understand the difficulty of this topic, and we understand how easy it can be for one who does not hold a job that requires them to work on the Sabbath to not understand the frustration of one who is not able to keep the Sabbath. We in no way look down on anyone who is in this position. In fact, our hearts go out to you, and we pray that the Father will open up a door at your job that will enable you to obey as your heart desires. On this note, it must be noted that one is not saved because they observe the law. We are saved by the work of Christ on the cross. So we are saved through his righteousness. We are judged, however, on how we pursue that righteousness. Just as Paul mentioned in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So then, make it a point that you are doing just that. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't live your salvation casually and passive. Do all that you can to seek obedience. There is a difference between one who is pursuing obedience and one who is rebelling. One who rebels is one who ignores or even rejects the commandments of God. 
Regardless of the reason they deem worthy for their justification, they're still rejecting God's eternal word. Yet one who pursues is one who does all that is possible to obey those commandments. It's a matter of acknowledging or denying, as Christ said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 33. For more detail on this topic, please see our teaching called Acknowledge or Deny. We've heard it said before, but we live in Egypt. We can't always follow as we want, to which we agree. We are living in Egypt, if you will. It's an environment that does not follow the ways of the Father. However, it must be noted that no one is forcing us to live in this setting either. We are where we are by choice. If the lifestyle we have chosen is causing conflict and obedience, should we not reconsider our lifestyle? Do we allow our lifestyle to determine if we obey the Father, or should we make our obedience to the Father determine our lifestyle? Should we allow the surrounding influence of the world to sway our opinion of what the Father has already established in His Word? There is no doubt that there are those in emergency-type positions where it is difficult, if not impossible, to always be off on the Sabbath, like those of the medical field, police, or fire protection, etc. Such positions indeed make it difficult to be off every Sabbath because of their rotating schedules. Being in law enforcement myself for the last 28 years, I can certainly sympathize with the struggle. There are jobs that are critical for the safety and health of others. If a person has a heart attack on the Sabbath, should we just allow them to die? Or should medical transport and hospitals serve this individual to the interest of preserving life? Remember, the Sabbath was given to man as a blessing, not a curse. Preserving life is always a weightier matter. Yes, sometimes commandments can conflict with one another because of circumstances. For more on this important topic, please see our teaching, Weightier Matters. Yet even with these types of jobs, we have seen the Father open up other positions in that job to enable the believer to observe and keep the Sabbath. The bottom line is that you need to be open to the Father and bearing your heart to Him so that He will open something for you to enable you to keep His Sabbath. We must always do our best in pursuing obedience, no matter the circumstance we may be up against. Again, we can't underscore enough that we understand how this can be a difficult topic for many simply because they have jobs that do not allow them to observe the Sabbath. At the same time, we believe this topic should not be overlooked as the Sabbath is given to us as a sign between us and the Father. And again, we in no way look down on anyone who is in this position. Our hearts go out to you, and we truly pray that the Father will open up a door at your job that will enable you to obey as your heart desires. Having said all this, we are obligated as ministers of the Word of God to remind us all of the weight that this topic bears in the Word of God. Exodus chapter 31, verse 15. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. This is huge. 
We bring this to light not to say that those who break the Sabbath should be put to death today, simply because there is no Sanhedrin today to carry this out, but rather to show the severity of the matter in the eyes of our Father. If you are interested in how the biblical capital punishment system works, we would recommend the teaching, Should We Stone Our Children? The Sabbath was something that meant a lot to the Father. It was not just any commandment that was part of the capital punishment system, only the most important commandments. And knowing that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we know that it means a lot to Him today, just the same. Knowing this is how He views the Sabbath, shouldn't we view it the same? Think about this for a minute. Not even stealing is giving such a punishment. Yet in the eyes of the Father, one who breaks the Sabbath deserves a greater punishment than the one who steals. Yet in today's society, one who breaks the Sabbath is not even considered a lawbreaker of any kind, even if they break their own Sabbath on Sunday, while one who is a thief can receive one of many consequences. Along these same lines, Murder is given the same punishment of death in the scriptures as breaking the Sabbath. So in the eyes of the Father, one who breaks the Sabbath deserves the same punishment as the one who commits murder. This is huge and all too often overlooked. Yet it's hard for us to even comprehend this concept because of the society that we have grown up in and currently live in. The ways of the Father are truly foreign to this world around us. Thus all too often making our understanding and ways foreign to the Father's. It should be our prayer to view the Sabbath the same way the Father does, to maintain it as that sign which He established between Him and us forever. It needs to be noted that if you are given the option to work on the Sabbath as overtime, we personally believe that option should be refused. Even if you need the money, this falls in the same category as Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, verse 21. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. Even though they may have been in the middle of plowing or harvest, they were to obey, forcing them to truly trust the Father. Regardless of how good the weather in doing such work, they were commanded to obey and keep the Sabbath. Regardless of how urgent it was to get the job done, they were commanded to obey and keep the Sabbath. No matter how bad we need that extra money, we are commanded to obey and keep the Sabbath, to trust that His ways are higher than ours, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Remember the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's for our benefit. He knows what's best. In fact, when we disobey by choice, our actions are telling the Father that we think we know best, thus placing our authority over His, making ourselves out to be God. It's one thing to be struggling with having to work on the Sabbath, but it's another to dismiss it altogether. We must not forget just how the Father views this day. Exodus chapter 31, verse 14. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it 
that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Exodus chapter 31, verse 16. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 31. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. So make it your desire to obey and observe the Sabbath in keeping that sign that He has established between us and Him. Even if your job requires you to work on the Sabbath now, make it your desire to keep the Sabbath and pray that He opens a door for you to keep that which He established as the sign between us and Him. We all agree that the Father works in mysterious ways. And when you bear your heart to Him in wanting to obey, we believe that somehow He will make a way for you to do so. Remember, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Another point to consider is that of helping our neighbor on the Sabbath. From a heart of love to the Father and our fellow man is how we are to live our lives. This is even how Yeshua explains it in Luke. Luke chapter 14, verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? Just because one is resting from their work in honor of the Lord on the Sabbath does not mean that they should dishonor him by neglecting the immediate need of a brother, a sister, or even an animal that arises that same day. We simply must be mindful to properly define immediate need. We must do our best to truly work out our salvation with fear and trembling every day. And if you see someone not observing the Sabbath as you believe it should be observed, pray for them. Go to them with a kind attitude and try to help them understand. One day, soon, all the questions that surround so many topics like this will be answered for all of us. But until then, we must pursue in purity of heart and pray that we all work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In all of this, we must make it our desire to set the Sabbath day apart as holy and guard it so we do not allow it to become a day that we focus on what pleases us or even others. Consider Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of Yahweh honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, are talking idly, then you shall take delight in Yahweh, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. It's a day that we are to set aside unto him, our family, our fellow believers. It's a day we are to guard and keeping holy, set apart. In Numbers chapter 15, we read of a man who was stoned for just gathering wood. Many would say that this sounds harsh. However, what was he gathering the wood for? If he was doing this in plans to keep warm, we would agree that it does seem harsh. However, with them already being in a hot desert, the odds of needing firewood to keep warm is pretty slim. 
And even if he did need firewood to keep warm, it's not like he couldn't borrow wood from a neighbor to get him by for one night. Chances are that he was actually planning and preparing work for the next day. Thus, he wasn't keeping the day set apart unto the Lord. It was as if he began making it like any other day of the week, instead of making it a day that is truly set apart. Now, what about buying on the Sabbath, making someone else work on the Sabbath? This was one of the reasons why the southern kingdom was banished to Babylon in the first place, as Nehemiah said. First, consider chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 31. And if the peoples of the land bring any goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now let's go three chapters down. Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 16 through 17. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Notice the severity and how Nehemiah addresses them in breaking the Sabbath. He says it's wicked or evil, actually desecrating it. Should this not be our view of breaking the Sabbath? How easy it is to allow the world around us to let our guard down in protecting that which the Father gave us as a sign between him and us. Continuing on, Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. And please know, when he said he would lay hands on them, he probably wasn't talking about prayer. Many have said that it doesn't matter if they go to the store to buy something on the Sabbath because the store is already open. The people are already working. They say that the people are working there whether they go or not. So what's the difference? The question then needs to be asked, whose light would you be shining to the world around you then? Would you be shining the light of obedience as Christ exemplified for us or that of disobedience? Are you trying to be part of the solution or part of the problem? Let us not forget Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 14. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servants and your female servant may rest as well as you. Many are quick to say that they don't have any servants, and that may be true, however, when we purchase something from somewhere, 
We are paying that individual to serve us. Thus, at that brief moment, that individual is our servant, and we are making that individual work for us. The Father says this is not to happen on the Sabbath. We have also heard it said that this was only while living in the city of Jerusalem that this applies. Many will reference the verses we read in Nehemiah regarding that. However, the scriptures are quite clear that this is not the case. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to Yahweh in all your dwelling places. These are the appointed feasts of Yahweh, the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. So, wherever we live, we are to observe everything the Father has instructed us regarding the Sabbath day. Why would the one day that was made for us not be needed outside of Jerusalem? Wouldn't it only make sense that the one day that was given to us as a sign be for us to live out that sign in front of the nations, in front of those who live outside of Jerusalem? It's expected that the world won't follow the Sabbath. But do we follow them, or do we follow our Heavenly Father in shining His light? Have you ever considered the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. It's God's will that all men everywhere come to repentance and walk in His ways. And He desires us to shine forth His light to them, to not be part of the problem, but part of the solution. So remember, we are to make no one be our manservant or maidservant on the Sabbath. This brings up the question then, what about making online purchases on the Sabbath? Because in reality, no one is working. It's simply a transaction being made that normally isn't even processed until the following Monday. This topic can go either way, depending on who you talk to. And honestly, we believe you need to work that out between you and the Father. Unless the purchase is just an absolute necessity by way of emergency or pulling your ox out of the well, if you will, our family avoids all purchases on that day, mainly because of the verse previously mentioned in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of Yahweh honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in Yahweh. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. When making purchases online, unless you know the person on the other end will not work on the order until the close of the Sabbath, it is very possible that your transaction will cause some work to occur. We understand that there are many views on this and we in no way are claiming to have the answer on this. This is simply our conviction and we pray that you follow the Father as you believe He is leading you. 
So what about the Sabbath day's journey? We have had several people, those who don't pursue Torah, tell us that we cannot travel farther than a Sabbath day's journey on the Sabbath day. We then ask them, where is that found in the law? The normal response is something like, well, I don't know, but I know it's there. This is a perfect example of someone quoting man and not scripture. Nowhere in the Torah, the law, do we find any instruction regarding a Sabbath day's journey. It's just not there. So where does that phrase come from? Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. The phrase, a Sabbath day's walk, actually came from the Pharisees' oral law that later became known as the Talmud. Some would point to this scripture in saying that the disciples were adhering to this law out of obedience to the Sabbath day. However, this verse is strictly showing a distance by a commonly used measure. It does not mean that the followers were keeping a Pharisaical tradition. The idea of the Pharisees is that walking anything more than a mile then becomes work. However, an 80-year-old and a 20-year-old marathon runner would certainly define walking a mile quite differently in the context of work. This is likely the reason Yahweh did not really detail exactly what it means to rest on the Sabbath. Clearly, we have to walk in some degree, even if it's walking to the bathroom. We need to be careful and wise on how much we exert ourselves on the Sabbath. Also note that the Pharisees' oral law commandment is speaking about walking, not about driving a car. Driving a car can be effortless for most. Regardless, nowhere do we find any such specific instruction of a Sabbath day's journey in the law. Neither do we find any of the disciples following such an instruction that is not founded in the Word of God. It is simply a man-made tradition. What we do find is this verse, Exodus chapter 16, verse 29. See, Yahweh has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. The Pharisees wanted to define how far a man could go on the Sabbath without breaking Exodus 16.29. So they invented a Sabbath day walk, which was about a mile. However, the law of God is not that specific. The idea that Yahweh wants to communicate is that we are not to work. Thus, we do not want to be traveling so far as to wear ourselves out. Thus, any travel on Sabbath should be light and not burdensome. The Sabbath is about rest. Exodus chapter 16 verse 29 means that we should stay in our general vicinity on that day, meaning we can travel, but in our own locality, nothing that would be out of the ordinary or tiresome. We should also keep in mind the context in which this commandment was given. Travel in that day was by your own feet or by using an animal for transportation. We are to rest, and so are our animals. Hence, the commandment to not travel too far, lest we are not resting, or our animal is not resting. But does a car need rest? No. So, 
We also need to understand the context and intent behind each commandment as they are given to us in the Word. Here is another example of the oral law blurring one's understanding of that of Yeshua breaking the Sabbath in the eyes of the Pharisees. John chapter 5, verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So here we see an accusation of Yeshua breaking the Sabbath. What were his actions here that they said was breaking the Sabbath? The context here is where Yeshua heals a paralytic in telling him to take up his mat and walk. So in the eyes of the Pharisees, he's breaking the Sabbath in two ways. He's healing on the Sabbath and telling someone to carry their mat, both of which to the Pharisees added commandments was considered breaking the Sabbath. Please note that it was breaking the Pharisees' added commands and not the law of God. It must be noted that these added laws that were put in place were done so out of good intention at the beginning. They were to help God's people to not come close to breaking God's law, a fence, if you will, to keep them a safe distance from disobedience. But these added laws eventually became elevated by the leadership to the same status as God's law. And that is why God said, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of Yahweh your God that I command you. When it came to the topic of healing on the Sabbath, Yeshua set the record, and the Pharisees straight. Compare the following. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Yeshua saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Yeshua had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath day untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosened from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. There are many assumptions made by people regarding what they believe concerning the Sabbath day, or any of God's instructions for that matter. The problem is that many of these assumptions are based on man-made rules that have been passed down through the ages and not on the Word of God. So we ask that you be mindful of that which you hold to. Be sure that it is based on the scriptures and not tradition. While many even look to the modern Jews today as following the Torah, which includes the Sabbath, it must be understood that most modern-day Jews still follow these added oral law commandments that our Messiah taught against. If there is a difference of that opinion on any particular verse, 
that's okay. We can all learn and grow from there. At least we will be founded on Scripture and not on something that it was just passed down from the fathers of the faith. Our goal should be that we grow in the Word of God, not the Word of man. Again, if there are differences of opinion on a verse, that's okay. We have once heard it said, we are all on a journey as long as we continue to hear, learn, and follow. As long as we all have a humble heart before the Father, He will lead us unto His truth. What about traveling on the Sabbath? We have a ministry friend whose job requires him to be gone occasionally on weekends. He makes it a point to put the Do Not Disturb sign on his hotel room door the whole day of the Sabbath just to make sure that no one cleans his room. He goes the extra mile to make it a point that he makes no one work on the Sabbath. There is no doubt that this can be difficult, but it is possible. Not long ago, a good question was presented to us. It was, how does a housewife rest on the Sabbath? Being that, obviously, their job is to take care of the children, how can she possibly feel that certain day is rest or set apart from the rest of the week? Several suggestions were discussed amongst those in the conversation. It was concluded that children still need to be cared for, animals as well, and people still need to eat on the Sabbath. But toilets don't need to be scrubbed. Laundry can wait, and floors don't have to be swept. It's best to work together to get as much done during the week so you can have the day to enjoy your children. Lots of time for play, stories, art, etc. A day to focus on Yahweh and your family without the business of work. What better way to teach the love of Yahweh to your young children than to delight in them? The dishes can wait. The beds can stay a mess. There's no need to sweat the small stuff. Planning ahead and pitching in together at the end makes the Sabbath an awesome day for everyone to enjoy. Something that we should consider is that the Sabbath has traditionally been day of assembly and scriptural study. We see that quite often in the New Testament, both our Messiah and Paul had a custom of going to the synagogues on the Sabbath. Likely, every author of the Bible also had this custom. Do we have to assemble on the Sabbath? No. For example, our Messiah spent 40 days in the desert alone. He did not assemble with anyone for quite some time. We know that our Messiah did not break the Sabbath and sin. For more on this, we would recommend the teaching, the Hebrew root of holy convocation. But it is not a bad custom to assemble with others on that day. You are already resting. Why not rest with the Word and friends? This is why it likely became a custom to gather on Sabbath. This is where we learn and grow with one another, where we share our previous week, our triumphs, our needs, this is where we learn to become the body, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Truly, no man is an island. We are all created with a need for others. The Sabbath is where we learn to understand that need. It's where we learn that we all have different perspectives of the Word of God. Some may be right and some may be wrong. And so we learn, Proverbs 27 verse 17, 
Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. The problem is that we find for some is that they may have no knowledge of any fellow believers in their local area, making it difficult, if not impossible, to gather with other believers. We know that there are those who join in to watch fellowships that have their services online. And though we acknowledge that this is definitely better than nothing, we ask that you not settle for that either. Don't stop looking for other believers in your area. Though meetings with others online is nice, nothing beats meeting face-to-face -face with other like-minded believers. If you are in need of finding believers in your area who wish to observe the Sabbath as you do, please go to our website, testeverything.net, and click on the Fellowship Finder in the Resources menu. If you do this, though, please exercise caution and discernment. We do not have the ability to screen every individual or gathering listed. Use common sense and find out what each group or person believes first by reaching out. Even if there is no one at this time in your area, make sure to put your name and email in the area that you are in. That way, others who look in your area later on can find you. Remember, it is a day that is to consist of a sacred assembly or holy convocation. So make it your goal to pursue that in obedience to the Father. And, the Lord willing, you'll connect with someone in your area soon. So, having said all this, just when is the Sabbath? A biblical day is actually sunset to sunset. Thus, the Sabbath is from sunset Friday night to sunset Saturday night. Some try to argue that no one really knows just which day of the week the seventh day should be. Thus, they argue that we can now make any day the Sabbath since there is no way to really know the proper seventh day. However, we know that Yeshua had to obey the commands of God in order to be sinless according to God's law. It doesn't take much study to realize that the first century believers followed Yeshua in observing Saturday as the Sabbath. And it was the Catholic Church that later changed it over to the first day of the week, forcing all to abandon the seventh-day Sabbath, as was exemplified by the disciples and those who came after. The mere fact that some point to Sunday, the first day of the week, as being the new Sabbath because of the resurrection, should be one more point that Saturday is the seventh day. There is truly little debate over this topic of the Sabbath. For more on which day of the week is the Sabbath, we recommend our teaching, Time, the Timing of the Sabbath. There are a few that hold to what is called the Lunar Sabbath. For more on that topic, please see our teaching called The Lunar Sabbath Uncovered. Please also note that if the Sabbath was of no matter to the Father after the resurrection, then why did Yeshua tell his followers who would be living in Judea in the end times to pray that their flight would not take place on the Sabbath, Matthew 24, verse 20. Why even refer to the Sabbath in a future event if it truly bore no importance anymore? As it is, we see that it is important to the Father today just as it was in the beginning. It's the sign that He has given us. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. 
It's the covenant that he has given us. Exodus chapter 31, verse 16. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. Let us make it our desire to renew that covenant with the Father so the whole world will have no doubt as to who we belong to. Let us not forget that the Sabbath will be followed when Christ comes back, as it is referred to in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 23. From new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares Yahweh. In fact, Isaiah and Micah both show that the law of God, the Torah, will be taught on that day. All of the law. That includes the Sabbath. Compare. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, Torah, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. Also in Micah chapter 4, verse 2. Since the law was followed before the cross and will obviously be followed after Yeshua's return, does it make any sense that the Father would have suspended the law in the middle? Of course not. In discussing this topic with a friend of ours, he responded with the phrase, but it's just not convenient to go to church on Saturday or to observe it as such, which we could only think in our heart so now we're serving God out of convenience and not obedience. We couldn't help but think of the verse found in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 24. But King David said to Ornan, No, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for Yahweh what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Do you serve God on your terms or his? Do you serve him in convenience or obedience? Let's face it, observing the Sabbath is not a popular thing in a world that says we need to make one more dollar, we need to have one more thing. We live in such a fast-paced society where stopping seems to be foreign to us, but it's truly for our benefit. The Sabbath teaches us to be still before the Lord, to quiet our hearts and listen. Many often ask what they should do for the Sabbath. We can't tell you what to do, nor would we try, but we can share what our families at 119 do in hopes that you can get some ideas that may work for your family as well, or spark some other ideas. First, we have to confess that it was hard for our families to get used to observing the Sabbath at the beginning, simply because we live in Egypt, if you will, we were simply used to living that lifestyle, fast-paced, always moving, working for the weekend. We remember when we first started observing the Sabbath. It was so foreign to us. We were simply so used to going here and going there, buying this, buying that, doing chores around the house, raking the yard, just doing what everybody else does. In fact, the first couple of Sabbaths, after reading some and resting some, we found ourselves twiddling our thumbs saying, what now? The mere fact that we struggled with it showed that we had been blending in all the time beforehand and not being set apart. 
it was truly proof that our lives had blended in with that of the world around us. Yet now, we wouldn't trade it for anything. Seriously. It's the one day that is truly set aside. Around our house on the Sabbath, we make it a tradition to sleep in. After we wake up, we often have a Bible study with our children. Sometimes we even act out the stories that we read. If you have small children, consider printing out coloring pages which relate to your Bible study. Perhaps color with them. You can then hang these pictures up in the house. Most families that work at 119 Ministries are located in different areas, but most, if not all of us, fellowship on the Sabbath as well as a small group or with friends. There are many things that you can do to make it a special day for you and your family. We pray that the Father will help you as you do just that. Make it a special day, a day set apart unto Him. As you do, others will think it's strange that you go out of your way to not go to the store, that you make it a day of rest, not chores, that you make it a day set apart. And trust me when I say, when it comes to observing the Sabbath, you will stand out in the eyes of others. But aren't we supposed to do that? We hope you have enjoyed this teaching. Remember, continue to test everything. Shalom. It is because of you, our generous supporters, who make it possible to offer these high-quality teachings completely free of charge. If you feel led to support 119 Ministries so that we can continue this effort, please visit testeverything.net and click on the Support 119 tab. Learn how you can partner with us to take the whole Word of God to the nations.